hands off my knee, young man. Prospects never will be great. While bosses underestimate his value, Army says. Considering today's episode. Hello everyone, I am Sam Wiles. This is another episode of Paul or Nothing, the only place to get all of your Paul all of the time. And remember, this is widescreen podcasting. This is widescreen podcasting. Of course, I hope you're all well, safe, and sound. Thank you all for listening. Yes, everyone, we are back today with another episode of Listen with Sam. But not the Listen With Sam that you've become accustomed to with the last two instalments where we've been going through the Paul McCartney 7-inch singles box set. No, I thought it was time for us to come back to 
the original version of this side series. And what is that? Well, Listen With Sam in any form is an excuse for me to revisit content and go back and literally listen to Paul McCartney albums with the you, the audience. I play the full album and I talk over each song only for the amount of time that song is on and then I move on. It's all very live. It's all very fun. It's all done off the top of the dome with no notes. So forgive my spontaneity and you are welcome for my spontaneity in equal measure. Yes, this uh, edition of Listen With Sammy is certainly fulfilling its role as far as me, the show's creator, is concerned, as it is content to plug a gap whilst I'm working on other projects. I was just originally going to do one of those Listen With Sam singles episodes again. I do have one of them ready to go, but I realised it truly has been a long time since we've done one of these, like pushing a year, and I thought it would be funny to make the ordering of this podcast as confusing as possible. But yeah, what are we listening to today? Well, folks, I think the last one we did was Tug of War. So what comes after Tug of War? Well, there's only one album it can be, and that is Pipes of Peace. Pipes of Peace has always had a special place in my heart, as many of you I'm sure know. I've always felt like it was the underdog that I had to support in the whole Tug of War versus Pipes of Peace debate. I've always felt Tug of War was slightly overrated, and conversely that this album is slightly underrated. We do get a lot more varied McCartney on this album. We get a lot of weird, strange Professor Paul. This is truly a more of an 80s one, I guess, in that sense. You know, closer links to McCartney 2, even. And despite the fact that this album, for most people, doesn't contain the individual heights of some of his greater albums. For me, this is kind of like Off the Ground or Driving Rain, whereby I'm more going for the album as a vibe. This is an album that I will more often than not listen to in full rather than the individual tracks, because the experience I get when I listen to this album, the whole kind of laid-back, chilled-out, happy, peaceful playful ambiance is just such a pleasure to experience and it only really works in full. I do get that a lot of the songs on this album might not stand up out of context but within context they are solid and this album is solid and I'm really looking forward to getting to talk about it with you today. But first as per the shtick of this little show Let's just quickly try and take ourselves back to 1983, the time when this was released. Let's try and listen to this album with a fresh pair of ears. Of course, that's what we are all about here at Port or Nothing, you know, listening to this music without baggage, without prejudice. Though, if we are going back to 1983, then we do have a lot of baggage and prejudice. We've had a very successful couple of albums from Paul. People generally liked McCartney too, in terms of sales at least, maybe not so much reviews. And Tug of War was a massive success, both critically and commercially. So Paul is on that post-Wings upswing, and now we are here with a new album. There hasn't been a terribly received movie. There hasn't been uh, a kind of mediocre album with a couple of singles off it. That hasn't happened. We've just gone straight to Pipes of Peace, and... Let's just try and meet it halfway, folks. Let's not go in with the craziest expectations. Let's not look for another maybe I'm amazed and just try and have some fun whilst we are here. 
Now, I know I always say, let's get our vinyl copies of this album ready. Let's flip over to side A. But as we all know, I'm never actually using a vinyl version. But let's not dwell on that. Let's launch right into Pipes of Peace. And Pipes of Peace begins, like the last album, with the title track. This is, of course, Pipes of Peace. And we begin with this very cacophonous battlefield-like array of sounds. There's even like a lightsaber noise there. That was that, that was actually quite fun. Um, this this is mirroring tug of war immediately right now. This is letting you know that these two projects are linked. And again, we go into a song and a melody that it was quite unexpected. I love how peaceful and upbeat and jolly and McCartney-esque this is already like this piano is just so joyful it really really puts a smile on your face physically and you are like okay is this gonna be like this the whole way through and then immediately when it was kind of just getting boring McCartney knows exactly to, to come in with this and the song picks up now to this more jaunty beat and you know Pops of Peace is one of these McCartney songs that does have several parts to it. It's never really put up there with tracks like Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey, that kind of thing, but it, it does have elements of that. Maybe there weren't individual songs and it was more a singular composition, but it certainly uses those elements to its advantage. And here comes the chorus. Great bass from Paul in this one. Now, this is a little hint here that we're going to be getting a lot of falsetto and a lot of high-pitched Paul on this album. And I don't know if that's, like, a product of him entering, like, his 40s. Like, I know he was known for, like, that Beatles growl in the 60s, and he kind of did the same thing in the 70s. And he's going to be doing his, his dad rock voice in the 90s. So maybe this is the transitionary period where he's trying to focus on different strengths. And of course, he can sing at this register absolutely divinely. It's not a problem, but it is a noticeable shift. Now, something I actually didn't know about this song. Oh, oh a little bit of tabla coming up. Moving into a different section of the song as well. A little bit more conceptual and spacey, this one. Um, but yeah, something I didn't know about this track was that apparently... Kind of like in the way that Come Together was originally written for one thing and then it wasn't written for that thing, it was repurposed for an opening track for an album. Um, Paul said in an issue of Club Sandwich in 88, George Melly wrote me and said, there's this children's organisation and they want a peaceful song for children, a hopeful song for the future. Would you be interested in doing it? So I set about trying to do it. Then it became a song for me. If you can do an anti-war song that doesn't feel too cloying, then it's really good if you're an anti-war person, as I am. You feel like you've done something worthwhile. Now, I'd love to know what this children's charity was, actually. That'd be interesting. Oh, and we go back to the first bit, but it's a slightly more layered, more complex version. You know, Paul's always giving you something new. It's never the exact same thing again. And this ending for her track is actually quite subtle. You know, it, it's not a big brash ending. It it does evoke that theme of peace. You know, it doesn't end on a big bang. It ends very serenely. You know, we are moving into the future now. We have found peace and now we can just have a little bit of fun. I guess that's what this album is, you know? 
Oh, that's just gorgeous, isn't it? That little piano blink right at the end. And that was Pipe Peace. Sounding very Radio 1 there. But we are now going to swiftly move on to... Say, say, say. Oh, there we are. That classic riff there, folks. Again, like the album itself, this is you know the main single, the one that everyone knows. And I've always felt like it's been underrated. Whenever I read about it, I always feel like this should be up there with the biggest McCartney singles, the most beloved ones. And yet, it's really not. It's kind of considered like the upper end of the mediocre spectrum. And maybe it's because it's a little lightweight, but there's so many lightweight McCartney songs that I feel like get praised that that this one doesn't, you know? Um, like One of the main strengths of this song for me is that it's not overly ponderous and overly thought out, you know? Of course, the, the, the main strength is that this is a, a collaboration between Paul and Jackson, and collaborations always bring out something new and interesting and energetic out in Paul. But I think another one of the main strengths it has that is maybe less referenced is the fact that it's a song to order. And Paul is a true professional, and he likes to have a little objective and somewhere to go towards. And, you know, for, for the longest time, so many of his solo career songs have been written on holiday or chilling out at home. But as we saw on Tug of War and as we will see on Elements of Presto Play and certainly on Flowers in the Dirt, there is just something special that happens when Paul is working with someone live in the studio. There is that kind of early Beatle magic, you know, working with John nose to nose, as he would famously say. And this, this, this in the studio on paper collaboration with Jackson face to face, I think is one of the reasons why this song is just so bright and stand out on this album. You know, so much of this album is about drudging up stuff from past projects. And yet this is fresh. This is new. This is dynamic. And you can tell it does have that contrast with the rest of the album. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a proponent for the rest of this album, but all of that stuff from Tug of War is kind of obvious, or at least like an optical illusion. Once you notice it, you can't unnotice it. Oh. Still, the, the, the most ludicrous thing about this song is that I was aware of it long before I was aware of it, of it because of that awful dance track by that group High Tack that I played on the, on, on the podcast a few episodes ago now. But, I mean, I, when I first heard this, when I was doing you know, research for the show and first getting into Paul, I was absolutely blown away that a Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson song had been sampled for this utter dredge. I mean, oh my gosh. This is definitely a post-Sony acquisition thing. You know, normally with such a, a gauche move as that, you, you'd expect that maybe like it was Sony controlling the Beatles' music or something. But no, this was an NPL move. Paul owns that sample, so I have no idea why that that ever existed at all. I've actually been getting into Michael Jackson a bit lately. Shout out to a Keto Tool there. And again, I'm trying to listen to that without the baggage as well, but. There's a lot more baggage with Michael Jackson than there is 
with Paul McCartney. But let's not dwell on that because we're going to move on to The Other Me. And of course, this is the track that everyone talks about in, when they reference like bad Paul McCartney lyrics or the weakness of the lyrics of this album in particular. And it's because of the dustbin lid line. Oh my gosh. Now, folks, can we just move past this now? I know, like, we've heard stuff like that. It means, like, stupid kid or little kid. You know, it's Cockney Roman slang for dustbin lid. But regardless, Paul has always thrown out clunker lines like that, and sometimes in much better songs. And so why are we harping on this in this way? Because already this song has shown us that this is a classic McCartney melody, a classic McCartney vocal melody. It's going to move into a fantastic bridge section after the next verse. Why is this not just considered to be higher up in the ranks than it is? Like, this is definitely one of those tracks that is brought down by the hype rather than a critical review of the material. This is just typical whiffle throwaway McCartney. And I don't mean that in a bad way. This, You know, this is just a cute, well-put-together, interesting layered McCartney album track. It's not setting the world on fire, but, you know, it's one of those prototypical, it's still better than most of the crap out there kind of tracks. The only thing that I do take issue with is that line, um, but if I ever hurt you, will you know then it's not real? It's certainly one of those lines that in 2023, I can certainly read far too much into. Like, so he hasn't hurt her yet, but if if I ever do, li listen. So he's basically saying, if I do hurt you in the in, in in the future, it doesn't count. It's not real. Like, is that because it's going to be like a, a double and Paul's been replaced, or has he got this real like split personality thing going on? Like, if he hurts her, then that's like evil Paul and not him, so she shouldn't get mad. Like, is this Paul's version of like John's dark lyrics from Getting Better? Is this Paul just gaslighting Linda? I don't know. Um, oh, of course, we just had one on one makes two there. That is directly linked with Pipes of Peace. One on one is all we, we want to hear. There is a kind of little mathematical run going through this album that I do like, even if it's just the most basic of math. <laughs> Always loved the little bit of bongo or, or a tabla there. Oh, okay. Uh, I've just gone to the PaulMcConnellProject.com. Shout out to that. And Paul actually does directly address how this is so a song about a kind of split personality Jekyll and Hyde thing. So anyway, this is actually a song about the other man in me, the new man in me, the other side of me that's lurking and waiting to get out. There's a latent kind of possibility in everyone when they're terrific and they've had a Valium, they're all lovely people and love people. When they haven't had their pill, they're not so nice. And that's the other side of me. And it's conscious of what I'm trying to reach in myself. A side of myself that I don't like so much. And, you know, I do like that Paul's being a little bit introspective here. But his kind of reasoning and logic kind of doesn't play out. Like, it is real. The other, the other me, the other you is real. And you kind of have to accept that a little more. And, you know, Paul is getting in contact with it, like he says here. But he's not owning it like there's a kind of lack of responsibility there and you know what Paul take a little more responsibility 
in your life. Come on, McCartney, grow up a little, son. And with that, oh my god, he's chucking it down outside. Um, we are now on to Keep Under Cover. And with this song, we are continuing a kind of mini trend for McCartney. And that's his descent into middle of the road kind of sounds. And typically, like we saw on Tug of War's Ballroom Dancing, you know, that's one of the few songs on that album that strays towards a kind of standard rock and roll, up-tempo sound. And despite having Eric Stewart, Denny Lane and himself on hand for both of those songs, he focuses the sound, he writes the song on piano. And I think that's a big reason why people don't like Pipes of Peace as a whole. It's a very piano-heavy album. It's not very rocky at all. And some of the tricks that made Tug of War feel a little more rocky, especially like the darker tone of it as well, certainly played in its favour. And, and, you know, you've, you've got songs like Here Today that are exclusively on guitar. You've got those powerful uh, chords and power chords in the, in the title track Tug of War itself. But it's just a shame that Paul's kind of going through that phase that George Harrison went through around the time of the White Album where he's writing instruments are exclusively on piano at, at the detriment of writing some fun riffs and rockers. And annoyingly, Paul kind of did do that, but it was outside of these two sessions, and he put two quite chug-a-lug uh, pot-boiler rockers on the album that we don't mention. Give my regards to Broad Street. You know, he put I'm Not Such a Bad Boy and... Uh, what was the other one? Um, no Values on that soundtrack album instead. And you know, I really feel like it, 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 it would have boosted these a bit. You know, we, we just had a, a, a bit of a, a solo electric guitar there, but that trick really isn't working that much on this album. And I like that. I like that this isn't a rocky album. And Paul's doing something a little bit different here, but I can empathise with why that would turn certain listeners off. I've always liked this one, though. It is the lesser cousin of Ballroom Dancing, but I, I loved the violin in it. I loved the, the kind of showy, big band nature of it. And Paul's vocal in, in, in this one is, is equally as thrilling as Ballroom Dancing. And, you know, it just adds a bit of energy to this album where it certainly needs it. But it's still kind of sticking to that not too in-your-face, uh, not too brash, not too showy uh, ethos of the rest of the album. And it's all held together with that insanely, proficiently well-mixed George Martin production. Like, you know, this song was all over the place, and yeah, it works so well. And we're going to close out side one now, because this isn't the longest album. It's only about like 39, 40 minutes, something like that. Uh, we're going to close side one with So Bad. Ah, Let's just quickly listen to this vocal. Ah, oh, that is divine, isn't it? Go on, Paulie. Like, I love just how blatant and brash this is. This is an unapologetically gooey, silly love song. And... You know, whenever Paul is lacking in care of what people think of him, that is when he's at his strongest. And I know, like, I may have not been the biggest fan of this one when I first heard it, but once I kind of mellowed out and appreciated it for what it was, I understood it as immediate canon. It just 
is. And something that's always drawn me to it is that I felt like it shared a similar sort of mood and intent as Silly Love Songs, as this, once again, is Paul consciously battling and baiting his critics with the main title and refrain of this song. You know, this is like those two Muppets from the ones going, you know, oh, it is so bad because it is so bad. He's kind of tempting reviewers to say that kind of thing. And that's because he knows that this is the most in-your-face, over-the-top, borderline parodic song, uh, love song, he has ever done. And, you know, he, he does it through the punny play-on-word phrase of so bad. I like that. You know, he's taking the mick out of the perception of these lovey-dovey songs and how people perceive them. And he's doing it, again, through the medium of an incredibly good song. This is also the A-side in America, which I've always found interesting. Um, the, the, the Pipes of Peace A-side over here, the title track with the music video, is so iconic, and yet this is completely a, a trivia song. It is forgotten. It's not re remembered as a B-side at all. And I do find it interesting, again, that like Mulligan Tire and Girls' School, they flipped it in America. I guess Pipes of Peace was just too English and or maybe too Eurocentric I don't know but uh, it's interesting that So Bad did as well as it did in America it's another one of those great comparisons <laughs> I never I never thought of it but So Bad and Girls School are really linked aren't they oh, this is also the, the best example of the Eric Stewart harmonies you know, we are phasing out Denny here, and the true is now going to be Paul, Linda, and Eric. And it is a wonderful reassurance here that the classic McCartney harmonies are going nowhere. Oh, just these lovely closing little synthy notes. And with that, everyone, we have come to the end of side one. Again, this really isn't the longest album in the McCartney canon. And... How do you feel? Was it good for you? Time for a cigarette? Exhale? I really enjoyed this side of the album. I think the album is kind of front-loaded and back-loaded, but for two different audiences. Like, side one is front-loaded with kind of standard uh, General McCartney audience hit tracks that everyone or the majority of people will more or less enjoy, which I certainly have. Whereas side two is full of uh, stranger, more varied, more out there, conceptual McCartney stuff that might put other people off, you know, as he experienced with McCartney too, with some audiences. So it does make sense that he has structured the album in this way. But have you been enjoying these crowd pleasers, as it were? Are they up to the standard you would expect for the post-tug-of-war release? Is he carrying on that tradition proudly? Is he still carrying the torch? Or has there indeed been a dip in quality? I certainly don't think so. I think it's just a different vibe and a different feel we are going for here. And it's the expectation of tug-of-war 2 that is truly the only thing getting in its way. Like, you know... There might be people out there who really can't get into Venus and Mars because they just wanted Band on the Run 2 and 
Paul never does the same thing twice, folks. Even though the majority of this material was collected from previous sessions, Paul is still going to restructure it and, you know, maybe even produce it and mix it in ways that it is not going to be the exact same thing again, so we shouldn't expect it. I didn't expect it, and I've been enjoying myself. I hope you have too. Now, before we flip over to side two and see if Paul can sustain this level of, uh, what is at least my perceived quality, it is time for a little bit of housekeeping. And first of all, we have a very brief news segment because all that happened this week was Ringo turned 83. Woo! Yes. Happy birthday to you, Ringo, you big special birthday boy. Every year, Ringo holds a little concert for his birthdays and I watched it once again thanks to a brilliant feed from BC The Beatles. I believe it was Alison who was filming, so thank you for that. That was great with her excellent running commentary. But yeah, that really is it, folks. Um, I really wanted to have a large housekeeping segment here full of emails and stuff to break up this episode. But no, we'll just go straight on to all of the other plugs. To get in contact with the show, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, which is at McCartneypod. For bonus Paul or nothing written content, check out the blog, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook by typing in Paul or nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Of course, YouTube is the place where you can get our side series, our sister show, Macca in Your Attic, where me and a guest go through their Paul McCartney slash Beatle memorabilia collections. Most of the guests I've had on this show. So if you like Paul or nothing, go and check us out on our YouTube page. And if you want to help out the show right away, in a way that takes less than 30 seconds, please engage in some form of engagement, some interaction. Yes, folks, that lovely buzzword, whether it's a like, a thumbs up, some stars, uh, a comment, a share, a retweet, or even just mentioning us to your friends. It's always greatly appreciated. It helps us out in those unfathomable algorithms and helps grow the Paul or Nothing family. And finally, if you want to help out the show directly, then please consider becoming one of our Patreon members. Patreon, as I'm sure you know by now, is the platform by which you, the public, can support independent content creators such as myself. Though it's not just a gimme, you do get your money's worth. You get two days early access to all episodes of Paul or Think. You get one week's access to all episodes of Macca in your attic. You get access to all of these scripts I use for the show, as well as lost bonus and unreleased episodes of Macca in your attic. You also get the video feed, so anything I do with a guest is instantly put up on the video feed. It's unedited and you get the visuals as well. So if you like the show and you want all the bits that get cut out as well as my wonderful mug, you get that. And lastly, you also get the Patreon vlog, which is our little side exclusive vlog for the Patreon patrons. There's over 20 episodes of that already. And that is exclusively for the people who put back into the show. Yes, folks, I do the show for free. There are no ads. So if you like what I'm doing and you think I deserve a dollar or even a couple of dollars a month, please consider chucking it out my face down the internet. And, of course, there are people who are already doing that, our wonderful Paul or Nothing family, the people for whom without the show cannot be possible. And I just want to give a huge shout-out to This Swan, Sam Hode, Nikolai Hauptman, Maggie Barnes, Mr. PJ Bellchamer, Stephen Lanham, Isabella Diaz, Stephanie Bradley, Louise Overberg, John Carp, Brian Brigman, Percy Thrillington, David Staberski, Andy Cochran, Guy Jenkinson, Nancy Twoey, Christopher Newman, Roderick Harper, Chris Atkinson, Richard Biddington, Teresa Brader, Stuart Cook, Cheryl McCoy, Lou DiLonardo, Robert A. Carabelli, Warren Butson, Cheryl McCoy, and Matt Phillips. 
And with that, everyone, it is now time for us to get back to the show, which means we must prepare our vinyl copies, you know, in inverted commas, of 1983's Pipes of Peace by Paul McCartney. We've absorbed the first half, and now it's time to see whether he truly sticks the landing. Let's go. And we now jump right into The Man. This is the second of the Michael Jackson collaborations. Of course, Tug of War mirrors uh, Pipes of Peace in that way. There are two collabs with each of these artists. And like Tug of War as well, there is one that's seen as the major piece and the minor piece. Of course, Say 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 was a massive single. This wasn't. It was proposed to be, but it never was. And so this is always seen to be the lesser of the two but I don't think that's quite an instant decision I think this is a very strong track in itself you know it is what it is it is that kind of gooey uh, bubblegum pop you know it is very fluffy and light in that sense but so is say 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 and I think this track really benefits from so much inventive creativity in its melody and its production you know that there's all the harmonies there's all that instrumentation there is a lot more going on than this track really has any right to have going on also just comparing it to tug of war i am now at a point in my life where i can comfortably say without fear of mockery that the man is actually superior to what's that you're doing of course the Stevie Wonder track displays, you know, far more personal instrumental prowess from Paul and Stevie, and it is a lot more spontaneous. But in that sense, it is just a glorified jam track that got upgraded to album status. Like, it really should have been a B-side. Whereas The Man, this track, for better or worse, is a properly crafted tune. You know, Paul has had this track for years now. I think like, he recorded it in, like, 81, 82... And so he and Martin have been able to get the very best out of the music and its shows. It just seems so slick and professional, doesn't it? And this guitar line is really underrated in the McCartney cabin. It's a really fun sound. That, that, that tone is gorgeous. I know that this is basically the version of The Girl Is Mine that McCartney got to keep for himself, but I just straight up really enjoyed this vibe. In spite of it being corny and very of its time, it's still a lovely way to open up Side 2 in particular. And even though the, the cynical old git in me is fighting it at every turn, I still find myself singing along every time I hear it. Though, it is a good example of a track that I do only listen to when I listen to Pubs of Peace in full. But I do listen to Pubs of Peace in full a lot more than the average McCartney album, so I am still very familiar with, with this one. Also, can we just take a second to appreciate that Michael Jackson is also doing some of these backing harmonies right here. Uh, and some of these backing vocals. So, so, so that means the McCartney backing vocal tableau now has Michael Jackson in it as well and again they are really taking advantage of, of this the vocals here are sublime this definitely needs to be higher up in people's lists it isn't as throwaway as people would lead you to believe this is just great 80s pop 
Come on. What's wrong with that? It's a longer song than you'd think as well, actually. Look, coming up to nearly four minutes now on that one. But we are not to be without music for long because we are now going straight on to Sweetest Little Show. Another kind of black sheep of the McCartney family. And I know for a lot of people, it's at this exact point where they realise that side two of Pipes of Peace really wasn't for them and that this was definitely the more lightweight, more throwaway side. And for me, I've never really got that. Um, I, I, I always take side one and two, uh, both in tandem, but also as you know different projects. We've spoken about how side one is the more palatable, straight up McCartney pop, whereas this is Paul experimenting. And now we've got a little bit of an old-time hoedown country-style track here. You know, there's not like this like violin in, in it or anything, but it's still very kind of classic Americana folksy. And you need McCartney to get semi-corny little tracks like this out of his head so he can get to other great tunes. You know, it's like a form of exorcism. Though something I noticed uh, preparing for this episode... And I don't think I've ever spun this yarn before, but this song does seem to be another one of those McCartney addresses criticism kind of songs. Like, I know the song is literally about show business, but again, whether consciously or subconsciously, Paul does seem to be singing about his own experiences. Oh, the gorgeous guitar segment here. This isn't in the original demos, and Paul talks about adding it later, and it is what takes the song to that higher quality level for me. It's a, it, it's a wonderful interlude. It's a great piece on the album as well, just offering greater soundscapes and stuff. But yeah, going back to Paul talking about his own experiences here, he sings, you've been around for a long time, but you're still good for a while. And, and if they tried to criticize you, make them smile, make them smile. Now, I know Paul is normally a little more cryptic than that. And for that reason alone, this may all be bullshit. But it's not like this song was written after the success of Tug of War or anything. No, this was written in 1980, whilst he was still reeling from the breakup of Wings and the failure that was, you know, like, back to the egg. Yes, McCartney too had come out, but come on, this is Paul clearly saying he is still good for a while, and it turned out he was and still is. Maybe I'm just reaching. I know I always reach, but... You know, Paul has still been offering us the sweetest little show. And, you know, every time we have tried to criticise him, both before and this song, he's still been making us smile. Oh, and I love the fade from this song to the next here. It is one of the best fades in the McCartney canon. Oh, it's perfect. Here we go. This is Average Person. Ah. Oh. Always loved this song. Always felt like it was a highlight of the album. Not saying it should have been a single or anything. It's still a very McCartney fan-only kind of song. But I just love how it has all these movements and different directions and sounds. It's very Pipes of Peace. Again, since Pipes of Peace was drawing from the songs that he didn't like, choose from Tug of War... Um, all the songs that did come from that, that tug of war early session era 
He really does add all of the bells and whistles to them to make sure that they are of a higher quality and that's what I really enjoy about this. It's almost like Mad Professor McCartney with George Martin combined to make something that's very formal but also quite out there and you know very expressive. Now, the thing that's always interested me about Pipes of Peace is that apparently there was meant to be some sort of running theme about the average person, at least at one point, and the main evidence for this is heard in the unreleased track, It's Not On. Uh, you can find this track on the archive edition of the album, on Spotify and stuff. And Paul sings about Arnie Pipe is a normal type with an average job, but his prospects never will be great, while bosses underestimate his value. So, was the idea that if this was going to be the album about peace, then Paul was going to be, like, more universal than usual and really try and sing about the average person and think about their life? I'm not too sure. Um, I mean, average person does seem to be, like, more of a general or even, like, male version of, like, another day or daytime, nighttime suffering, that kind of thing. But rather than... Uh, you know, suffering more directly. This is about the suffering of the average life. Um, maybe it's not the best perspective for McCartney, this millionaire, to have. Like, maybe he should be portraying the average person with a little more pep and pluck and hope for the future. Uh, he does seem to have a quite quite a few downtrodden, tragic characters here. Maybe he should have mixed it up a little bit. Some classic McCartney lyrics that I cannot decipher at all here. Boxer? Yeah. Again, this is another quite long song. The album itself isn't long, but the songs that are on here pretty much all do reach over three or four minutes. You know, this is McCartney going into the 80s. He's been unleashed from Wings, and he's going to be indulging in a bit of self-indulgence, of course. Though, George Martin didn't make him trim them, though, so George Martin must have agreed that all of these songs are the length they should be. Though, if McCartney did trim the album a little bit, he probably could have fit another couple of songs on there. Maybe if he did a more one-and-done kind of tracks, but... That's never been his his bag, really, has Again, we have a little bit of electric guitar on, on there then, and you can hear it in the background now. And it's that classic kind of McCartney qualified that makes it technically rock and roll, but it really isn't. Like, like again, this is more piano-based pop once again. There's still a, a distinct lack of guitars on this album, and we, we are feeling it now. We're going to get another little bit of like a solo towards the end again, but it's, yeah, but it's, it's, it's still not enough. Though, I will, I will say, the that's a very underrated little refrain in the McCartney canon. Great track, always loved, average person. Um, sometimes even listen to it outside of the context of the wider album. Shocker. But before I can even finish that sentence, we are on to one of the uncut gems of McCartney's songbook, and that is Hey Hey. Though it's not really from 
the McCartney song book because it's not really a song, it is just an instrumental. And it's not really from McCartney's book either. And again, I'll be mortified if I didn't mention this the first time around. Uh, because this is the coolest thing about the, the song, besides from, from the song itself, and that's the fact that it's actually an under-the-radar Macca collaboration. Yes, if you check the credits on the disc, then you will indeed see the name Stanley Clark written next to Paul's. Now, I don't for a second think that the two of them collabed nose-to-nose -nose like Paul and Lennon did, or even the way Paul and Michael Jackson did. But, since Clark was a session musician, one can assume that this was born out of an extended jam period between the two. You know, Paul gets to cut back and hang out with an equal or even superior in the world of bass and have some fun. Now, does it result in the most complex track ever? No, but this is exactly what I want from a throwaway jam collab. Not like what we had with Stevie Wonder, where they have a jam track in What's That You're Doing, and it's at the expense of a kind of world-class sit-down Titanic collab that the two of them could have had instead of a jam. Like, th this is far more fitting. It works far better. And what we get here is just a, a hint of the experimentation we're going to be getting on the next track. You know, George Martin is certainly enjoying all of these different tones and styles and feels that Paul is effortless, effortlessly flirting between on this album. And in many ways, he gets to distill it all into one little burst of a track. I don't know why people have disliked this track so much. Like, were they just expecting more classic McCartney stuff to end this album? Like, they must have seen that how front-loaded the album was with the kind of tracks that they would have liked. So for them to expect it here maybe is, is a little too much. I knew Paul would be cutting back around this time on the album, and, and that's exactly what he does. Also, what is that word there? Has anyone found out what that what that word was? There's so much unintelligible McCartney on this album. But I love that. And what a riff as well. I love on these jam tracks that McCartney actually has riffs as well. But that's that that's something we don't appreciate in terms of the number of riffs per Macca album. But it is now time for us to move on to what has always low-key been one of my favourite tracks from this album, from this entire period, and that is the goofily titled Tug of Peace. Yes, this is a mashup track between Tug of War and Pipes of Peace that kind of doesn't make sense being on Pipes of Peace. Like, it should have been on, like, a separate thing like that maybe a separate b-side or something but no it's on the same album as pipes of peace but i love how quirky that idea is i love how silly it is how mccartney-esque it is and all of those descriptive words can be applied to the song itself this is paul really just doing his thing <laughs> this is paul just absolutely going mad, going full-on experimental, going full-on mad Professor McCartney whilst under the supervision and tutelage of George Martin. And it's that fusion of styles and techniques that I find so fascinating with this track. You know, this is like, what if McCartney 2 had that professional, uh, meditated production to it? Like, there are so many ideas 
and so many fun little moments in this very short track. And, you know, it's, it's a track that you want to listen to again. You want to put it on right after you've just heard it. Same with things like Uela Soleil or Squid. You know, this is just so catchy and so strange and delightful. This whole episode is making me feel paranoid, though, folks. I feel like I didn't do my due diligence. I'm just on uh, the Paul McCartney project again. And I found a quote from George Martin here. Did I include it? I hope I did. But I didn't do as detailed recording session segments back when I recorded the original parts of Peace episode. And, you know, I didn't really mention it with guests either. This was like at the height of my collabs with Ken Michaels as well. But here's a quote from George Martin in a 1983 issue of Club Sandwich. The great thing about working with Paul is that you can try anything. He's great for experimenting. For example, on Tug of Peace, I had this idea of having a kind of Zulu sound. I wanted to get the noise of thumping assay guys on the ground. So we got the whole stack of garden canes, and Paul and I end up with about 15 each, holding them and chomping them down. Which is that tremendous sound you, you hear on the offbeat. Just a noise that I had in my mind, which I thought would be fun to do. Well, George, it certainly was fun. I've never heard that before, but, you know, hearing it now, yeah, it's definitely there. Oh, but after all of that silliness and McCartney-esque kind of meandering, it is now time for a proper song again, a proper full-on classic McCartney closer. This is up there with Backseat of My Car, Warm and Beautiful, Summer's Day song, the classic McCartney closes, you know, and oh, this is this is through our love. Oh my God! There was an interview with McCartney in 2015 about this album, and quite rightly, the majority of it was spent talking about through our love because it probably is the best track from the entire session. Like, if there was a collection of McCartney's music that was being preserved. For aliens or something and <laughs> you can only pick one song from each album I wouldn't pick Pipes of Peace to represent Pipes of Peace it would be this this is an all-time McCartney classic possibly in the top 20 it's one of his best love songs it's one of his best closes oh, it's one of his best George Martin productions oh this chorus Oh, well, I heard some lovely, like, little uh, mystical bell effect there. That, 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 that was really nice. Oddly enough, my ultra-specific memory of this song goes all the way back to, like, six or seven years ago when I was coming back from a trip to Bristol with my then-girlfriend, her sister, and her sister's boyfriend. And I remember I was reading Conversations with McCartney on the train back, and I was doing research for the McCartney 2 episode, but, for, you know... For some naughty reason, I was skipping ahead and listening to Pops of Peace. Loved the album back then, still love it now. But what stuck out to me then was the profound power of a song like this when you are indeed in love at the time of listening to it. I know it's very obvious and it sounds very trite, but if you are indeed experiencing the emotions that McCarty is directly singing about, then of course it's going to be much more poignant and affecting. And that's what it was. Nothing particularly like romantic happened on that train ride back, but I just clicked with the song and I got it. Got another quote from that 1983 issue of Club Sandwich. Oh my God, I can't wait to go back and redo so much of this content. I know you can't either. 
and it's from Paul, and he gives a really quite meta comment about this song and about how we interpret his music. It's a really good quote. He says, Through our love includes the lines, we, we can do things they said were impossible, through our love, which sounds like a love song to Linda. And in my case, it would be a love song to Linda. But if it was Barry Manilow or somebody singing it, you'd think, oh, it's for his girlfriend. Because it's me, you think it's for Linda. Which, as I say, for me it is. But I don't write songs like that. I don't write them as diaries. Songs don't have to mean anything, actually. It's, it's allowed to be made up. All the best stuff doesn't have meaning. I'd like a young married couple to, to take it for themselves. Fred and Ina, through our love, is for them, as well as being my thing to Linda. Well, shout out to Fred and Ina as we come to the end of Pipes of Peace there. Oh my gosh, folks, we've done it. We have officially returned to and finished another episode of Listen With Sam. We have been listening to 1983's Pipes of Peace. Wow, that was the B-side. How was it for you? Well, again, I've always felt that Pipes of Peace Side 2 has been this wonderful collection of weird, quirky, out-there McCartney stuff. And he could have structured the album a little more classically, where he does proper pop tunes mixed in with the quirky stuff. But I like how he's kind of separated it and then, you know, bookending it with Through Our Love. It's a different trackless layout style for Paul. And it certainly does lend itself to the unique feel and vibe that Pipes of Peace does have. You know, even the first half with the proper, quote-unquote, proper songs is still very peaceful and languid and not to be taken too seriously. And then side two really reinforces that. As a whole, I absolutely adore this album. It's better than Tug of War, I've said it. I'm not saying it's in my top five or even my top ten or anything like that. I'm just saying it's an underrated album. And if I had to pick the best McCartney album for... A chill out, relaxing afternoon, like maybe if you're just doing some reading or some painting or something like that. This is that kind of album. Other ones would be like off the ground, flowers in the dirt, that kind of thing. But this is Paul at his most chilled out, his most relaxed. He's still at Air Studios in Montserrat. He's not got a care in the world and that bleeds onto the album here. And it's just wonderful to be with him in this kind of environment, you know. We might not actually get this relaxed until we are uh, heaven on a Sunday on Flaming Pie, something like that. This is Holiday with McCartney. He's not going to be putting out his best stuff ever, but it's still high-quality material, and what a holiday it is. Oh, we could all use a break. I'm, I'm glad we all went there. Right, that was another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I've been your host, Sam Walsh. Thank you all for tuning in. Next episode is going to be the slightly delayed 1964 Eyes of the Storm, but you know me, I never get McCartney book reviews out or any kind of review out right after, if if I can help it. And then after that, we're going to be going through Run, Devil, Run. But yeah, until then, I've been your host, Sam Wells. Peace and love, peace and love. Harry, Harry Krishna. No more autographs. Play us out, Danny.